0: This episode of Radcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between.
1: This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and
2: Patrick Edwards.
0: Well, hello and welcome to another episode of RagCast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill, and today we're in the great indoors, talking about the great outdoors. That's right. And man, it has been a blustery day. I don't know about you, but I
2: thought my house was going to get ripped off the foundation. Well, it started yesterday when you and I went out (laughs) looking for deer and. uh, we're unsuccessful in that endeavor actually and
0: got a little bit cold, but it was, it made for some good pictures. We'll have to post those. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful evening. Got to take out some friends of mine and go look for a, uh,
2: well, it was actually a whitetail buck. We were looking for, to, for deer. Yeah. But they evaded us. At, I still have sand in my eyes from yesterday. Yeah, that was, that was pretty brutal. But
0: like you said, we get to be in the great indoors today and have a very special guest and I just want to do a little introduction to talk about how this podcast came together because I'm one of those guys. I like to watch some of these shows. I don't watch much TV, but I watch a little bit and the little bit that I do watch, I watch with my family and we found this show called Alone a few years ago and we started watching all the seasons of alone. Then we found this show called alone the beast. And our guest today was on that show. And I was blown away by her mental toughness. My kids were blown away, and they're like, Dad, you should see if she'll come on the podcast. I happened to reach out, and she said she would come on the podcast. So, Lindsay Persico, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you.
1: Uh, Thank you. I think that's the best thing I've ever heard as an intro is that your kids wanted me to come on. That's awesome. I love
2: it.
0: Well, my girls were super excited. They're like, man, she outlasted the guys. She did so awesome. I can't believe she went in there with just the clothes on her back and was able to get this done. And, you know, you do a lot of other cool stuff too. So I want to mention that, you know, you have your own podcast as well, the Hunt Fiber podcast. And so those of you who listen to Ragcast, jump on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening to your podcast and go check out her podcast. It's a little bit different. Content material than you're going to get on this one. So that's a lot of fun. You can kind of branch out into some other things. But Lindsay does a lot with like outdoor survival skills, coaching people, nutrition, that kind of stuff. So, Lindsay, if you could just tell people a little bit more about what you do.
1: Well, I live in Montana. I was born and raised in Idaho and was lucky to grow up in a family that loved the outdoors. And a dad that would uh, take me hunting with him and introduced me to that. So that's how kind of hunting got to be such a big part of my life. I fell in love with it at an early age and my husband and I both are very avid hunters. Our kiddos are kind of varied on that front. Some of them are more avid than others, but but all of them are interested in it and go hunting regularly. Um, And that takes up a lot of our time. Montana is awesome because it has Oh, there's almost always something to hunt <laughs> you can you can be hunting predators you can hunt uh, big game and there's a lot to offer for outdoor focused families so we keep our time pretty pretty busy outdoors with that and then uh yeah i do online fitness and nutrition coaching as kind of my regular day job which i can do from home with the kids which is awesome and then Through that company, we do women's outdoor retreats in Alaska. So we take women up in the bush, fly in, drop off, and teach them survival skills and fly fishing and a lot of mindset work as well, Um, basic stuff on that front. My podcast is kind of just a fun side gig for me. It's a creative outlet. I like to have uh, something that I can work on creatively. That's kind of how I got into the outdoor space was through creative writing. I started a blog. And wanted to share that with people. So it got me on social media so I could share the blog. Um, yeah, that's the basics. I've got three kiddos. Um, one of them will be turning 15 shortly, which I can't believe. And then a 13 year old and an eight year old.
0: Man, sounds like my house. It's a, it's a busy place. I know David, he's got number three coming here in about what, four weeks.
2: Well, the, the wife oh does. Well, yeah, not <laughs> David himself. Not me personally. But yes, it's uh, uh, living in a house with a pregnant person. If if you haven't had that pleasure in your life, I, I highly recommend it. It's, a, it's, it's something to experience for everyone. <laughs> it's
1: a good growing experience.
2: Yeah, uh, no, it's,
0: uh, it's good. Kids are a lot of fun. And I think that that's kind of one of the cool things we can talk about a little bit later. But just how the outdoors plays into us and how we bring up our kids and some of the activities that we choose to do together. Um, but I do want to ask you, so alone, the beast, how did you end up on that show? Like, what was the, you know, I guess what was the reasoning for going on the show and kind of how did that journey begin?
1: Well, it started out as something that I thought was just a spam message on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i got this gal that said she was a casting director and i thought yeah right you're a casting director for a loan they wanted me to be on a loan and i couldn't leave my kids for that long there was no way i was going to go that long and be away from my kids they were quite a bit younger my son was five at the time and that's just potentially a hundred days away from your family and i was like nah can't do that and she was like well We have this show that we're going to try out and it's only 30 day commitment. Could you do a 30 day trip out? And I was like, yeah, I could do a 30 day trip. (laughs) Um, But I didn't really want to do it. I'm not a big TV person like you mentioned. I don't watch a lot of TV uh, and especially not reality TV, but I had seen Alone and I do enjoy that show. Um, But I had a mentor growing up who I mentioned this in the show. He always told me you got to do the things in life that you would regret not doing and I thought about the opportunity and I thought it doesn't really sound like something I want to do I know it's going to be miserable but I might regret not doing it just because when again am I going to get the chance to go up to this amazing place and spend 30 days in the wilderness testing my skills and and it just seemed like something that I knew would never come up again so I figured I better do it
0: yeah, and so tell people just kind of like where where the location was and kind of the – because when I tell people, they're like, no way, there's no way they didn't go up there without any tools. I'm like, yeah, really, like it's just the clothes on their back. But just kind of tell like where it was and what some of the parameters were for the show.
1: Yeah, so the original alone is just a single – like they set people out by themselves, a group of like 10 people, and they're all alone. And it's whoever stays the longest generally wins. Um, But for this show, they put us out in teams of three. So there was usually somebody that was more skilled in primitive techniques. And then there'd have somebody that was more skilled with taking care of a dead animal or the hunting side of things. They kind of tried to pair people up that had different skill sets. And for my group of three, they put us out um, on the shores of Great Slave Lake. And the premise was they would give you a dead animal. For us, it was a moose, but you didn't have anything but the clothes on your back to work with, to break down the animal and survive for 30 days. You couldn't use your clothing, even if you had shoelaces or something in your clothes you wanted to use. You had to create everything that was a tool that you were gonna use from nature. That's basically the rules.
0: Yeah. Whereas like with the other alone show where you're trying to last around 100 days, you have a pack full of gear and you get what I think it's like 10 items or something like that, that you get to take with you, which are pretty handy. Like, and you don't think about like how much you would use a knife or a hatchet or cordage, you know, like brand paracord, stuff like that until you don't have it. And that was kind of the kind of the cool part of the show, because I'm like, okay, so you have a moose. Now you got to figure out how to break it down and you don't have a knife to break it down and, you know, watching you guys kind of go around and figure out like what kind of rock you could use and just having different ideas and struggling through that. What was that initial couple hours like trying to figure out how to, how to get that thing broken down?
1: Well, I was really hoping there'd be a good nappable stone there, some sort of obsidian or something that would, flake off and make a good blade, but there really wasn't, there was pretty much just slate. And then some other rock that when you broke it, it was not <laughs> anywhere near sharp. Uh, but it was what we had to work with. So we did the best we could. It took, we didn't get put out cause we had to wait till the, the local tribe would kill the moose for the show. And once they were able to to get a moose, then our episode would begin. And it was actually supposed to start a week earlier but they were having a hard time finding a moose. Um, So once they finally got one on the ground, it was in the afternoon and we got put out for our show to start. And it took us all the way till dark just to get the gut cavity opened up and get the guts out. Um, And the whole next day, because as soon as it gets dark, you have no light, you can't keep working. You just basically have to go to sleep. And then as soon as the sun was up, I started back in on that. And it took me the entire rest of that next day just to quarter it and get the quarters stashed. It took, I don't know, it was probably dark for about 14 hours at that point. So, I don't know, math. But however many hours that was, all just to get it quartered. (laughs) It took a long time to get the skin off and get the quarters off with a rock. It just took forever.
0: This portion of the podcast is brought to you by High Mountain Seasonings. It's that time of year. If you're fishing, you're out in the field, you're catching a lot of fish and you need some good fish brine to smoke up those trout fillets, You can go to highmountainjerky.com or H-I-M-T-N jerky.com. And it's also that time of year to stock up before hunting season. So if you need the absolute best jerky seasoning on the market, you can check out their jerky seasoning kits. They're very easy to do, no matter whether you're doing whole muscle meat or ground jerky, they've got everything that you need. If you want to cook fish, like on pan sear fish, or cook duck, or pheasant, or whatever you're cooking, they have the seasoning for you. So again, go check out our friends at High Mountain Jerky. You can go to HIMTNJerky.com and check out all their different options. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, that's that's wild, isn't it, dude? Like thinking about how long it would take you and I with a, a couple of knives to break down an elk or a deer, it would take almost no time.
2: Well, those outdoor edge knives that I sell and believe in, I did two bull elk in an afternoon you know, with one other guy and I didn't even change the blade. So two hours (laughs) I did two elk, which is equivalent to a moose. Right. Right. And it, and that's, that's the tool difference. I'm sure you would have loved to have a knife, just, just one knife.
1: You know, it was actually, that was really hard for me because that's always been a small like source of pride is my ability to skin and butcher an animal really efficiently and to just sit there and struggle with it for so long. (laughs) It was rough, but it, it was one of those things where you just have to keep working at it. It would take like so many strokes with that knife or that rock to get it even like a half of an inch. And the hide is so thick, especially on those big bull moose like that. It was extremely fatiguing for my hands just to hold on to that rock and try to keep the hide really tight so I could get anywhere with it. But it was super rewarding at the end. My hands did not work quite right the whole next Probably two to three days. My hands were pretty stove up I'm <laughs> doing that, but yeah, it was, they were rough, uh, for a couple of days after that, but it, it worked. It, it was doable. You just can't give up.
0: You just yeah. gotta keep going. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. How long would a chunk of rock actually last you before you had to go get a different chunk of rock? Like I'm sure that after a while it was diminishing returns, just like with any blade. Um, but how long did that last?
1: It was pretty funny, actually, because at the beginning, I would, I was trying other, like the one guy that was there, Joe, would try to go find better rocks and he would smash rocks open and try to get something to get a decent edge on it. And he'd bring me a piece and he'd be like, is this one better? And I would try that one for a little bit. and I'm like, no, this one still sucks. And I'd go back to whichever one was the sharpest we had found. And we kept trying different chunks of rock throughout the different periods of time. And we kind of come up with two or three that you'd actually maybe make some progress with it versus some that wouldn't do you any good at all. And I kept one of those pieces with me most of the way through that was fairly decent, but yeah, it was, it was trial and error. You just kept trying to to flake something in a way that was going to get a decent blade. And if you've messed with shale at all, it's not really designed for that. (laughs) Not ideal.
2: Not at all. (laughs) So growing up, what skills did you gather that helped you on the show? And where'd you get those skills from?
1: Well, the outdoor skills. My when they reached out to me, I was kind of surprised um, because I didn't really have a survival background per se. My background was in hunting, but anybody that hunts out west, you're you kind of gain some basic survival skills just because you you go out and you kind of have to be prepared to to spend the night out there if something goes wrong, or if you're going um, out for back you know backcountry trips for a while, you're going to gain some of those skills naturally. So I had those, but they were really wanting somebody with a hunting background so that they could break down the moose and know how to handle an animal out there. And so that was kind of what I brought to the table on that front. But yeah, when it came came to the actual survival skills, it was all just hunting-based knowledge that I had. And on the mindset side, I think my folks kind of instilled in me if you feel like you're supposed to do something, it doesn't really matter how hard it is. If you decide that there's something you need to do, then you're going to need to tough it out and do it. That was always modeled to me. And that was expected of me as a kid. And then I went through some things in my life that were pretty difficult as a young adult. And I think I had quite a few people who kind of assumed that this situation that I was in on the show was probably the hardest thing I'd ever done. And I had to, help them recognize that it really didn't feel like it because I had done things in my life that already felt way harder than that. And so to me, it wasn't as big of a challenge as maybe it would have been somebody who hadn't done something really
0: difficult before. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed in watching the show was you like the whole time, it didn't look like you were going to quit like in with the other contestants, it seemed like they were just kind of wavering a little bit, you know, but you could tell like with you, you just were like, what, what do you mean you're leaving? <laughs> you know, I've already set my mind to do this. So I'm going to do it. Can you talk a little bit about that? And just kind of the, I don't know, I guess the bandwidth that you had and, and maybe just some of the ways that you keep yourself honed in on whatever that goal is when you're doing that. Cause I'm sure you were like, Oh crap. Now I got to do all this by myself. Um, but can you kind of talk through like what your mental process was through all of that?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I, w- well, one of the things I think that really helped me is that I'm, I'm an overthinker. So when I knew I was going to go up there, I didn't go into it with rose colored glasses. I knew it wasn't going to be fun and it was going to be hard. Uh, and I tried to anticipate the different struggles that I was going to encounter and how I would approach them when they came. So just kind of mental preparation before you do anything difficult is really helpful. It's almost like a you play-by-play play of what you think is gonna happen, put yourself in that situation ahead of time. Um, the one thing I didn't anticipate was that the two guys were gonna leave. <laughs> I thought that maybe one of them would leave, but I didn't really think that they would both leave. Um, and when that happened, yeah, my initial thought was, Ugh, I got to get all the firewood by myself. I got to keep the fire going by myself. I got to deal with all this meat alone. Uh, that's going to be a lot harder. But luckily, I've always been somebody that likes to be alone. I don't mind being by myself. And I, my mom said even as like a little kid, I would go off and play by myself. Um, being alone isn't a problem for me. I enjoy that. So it was. it ended up being really cool that I got to experience it both ways. I liked that I got to do it with a team and have that kind of an experience because it was totally different. And then I also got to experience it by myself, which was pretty cool in the end.
2: So what would you say, Lindsay, you know, taking some of your experiences in, in this challenge that you've kind of transcended into personal training and some of your success coaching, what have you seen in your clients kind of the mental tough, toughness aspect of how that makes them, successful or not successful
1: uh actually it might be a little different than you would expect um especially with women so and i don't know i mean this this can be the this way with anybody but i've noticed even within myself it's something i had to learn is that sometimes your mind is actually tougher than your body and it's not always the case but sometimes we push ourselves harder than we should and It kind of depends on the person that I'm dealing with, but I deal with a lot of people in the outdoor industry as clients. So they are people who have big hunts coming up. Uh, Maybe they drew a sheep tag and they got to get ready for a sheep hunt or something like that. Um, And we sometimes can get really good at not paying attention to our bodies, just kind of ignoring signals that we're getting when it comes to stress, especially. Um, And that's all mindset, It really matters how stressed your body is because it's not gonna respond well to the training that you do. It doesn't matter how you eat, doesn't matter how you train. If your body is really, really stressed, it's not gonna respond well to what you're doing. Your hormones get out of balance, everything gets out of whack. So it's actually been a lot harder to get people to slow down and stop pushing so hard in the gym and actually focus on basic things like getting good sleep and making sure they have good proper recovery and feeling themselves well and dealing with stressors. There's so many people that I work with are just stressed out. Our world is a stressful environment and people come in with these lofty fitness goals, but yet they don't have the basics of just taking care of their body and their mind down. And that's a lot of times they're just pushing, pushing physically and they need to just slow slow down for a little bit, (laughs) focus on the basics.
0: That makes sense. I mean, it's, it's really easy to get wrapped up in the day to day and you forget about your body. And sometimes your body goes into full on revolt when you do that. And and then you end up in the hospital or you end up, you know, just super sick or whatever it might be. So that totally makes sense. And I'm, I'm really guilty of neglecting myself on that front. Like, oh, well, if I just work a little bit more and you know, I can sleep later. It's that famous saying I had in college and I'll sleep when I'm dead. Um, you know, that doesn't work. Too, <laughs> that doesn't work very well for the long run. Um, I remember one spring break, I slept for like a day and a half cause I was so exhausted, you know, it, I mean, it just happens, but I don't know. I think it's really cool that, you know, you're talking about like mental toughness and I remember there's a part in the show where, you know, you're, you're by yourself and now you've got bear issues and everybody who's been out West who deals with bears like David and I and yourself, like that's not a good situation to be in where you've got a bear that's coming in and wants what you have. Um, that's, that's definitely a threat. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you address that situation? Yeah,
1: the bear was a black bear and you know, luckily, I've had a lot of experience and encounters with bears here where I live. So I can recognize their behavior and understand when the situation might be more dangerous. Um, and in this situation, originally he was really just interested in the carcass and that was quite a bit away from my camp and it kept him busy for, for a while. He was pretty happy down there. And then he started checking out my caches that were a little bit closer to my shelter. Um, I had some that were kind of halfway between me and the carcass two two different quarters up stash. And then I had two quarters that were stashed pretty close. One that was like a little ways off from my camp and one that was real close by because it was the one I was working on smoking. And over a few days, he just kind of slowly worked his way in and I'd start to see his tracks really close to my shelter. Uh, when I'd get up in the morning, it would snow, fresh snow, and I'd see his tracks. He'd been kind of wandering around checking out those caches. And... Then I woke up that one night and he was just across the fire from me, chewing on my fat pile. (laughs) I had a pile of fat that I was trying to render. So I had like a slanted um, slate rock over my fire pit and I would put the fat from like the, I've got that good fat that's around the stomach and intestines and um, any fat that I could get off the meat and I had it sitting on that slate and as it would heat up it would melt and then it would run down the slate and and cool and drip into a pure pile down um, below the fire and I had a little pile of it I just kept working on and he was sitting over there chewing on that and as soon as I kind of sat up and looked over he bolted and ran off but it that was a little bit different because like that's like a like having your dog on the other side of the campfire <laughs> sitting there chewing on something. Yes, that's, that's probably not very safe. Um, and he still was intimidated by me, but he was just getting more and more comfortable. And I knew eventually that we may end up in an altercation because if he decided that that stuff was his, instead of that he was trying to take it from me, then I would be perceived as a threat to him. And it was only a matter of time before he was more and more comfortable. So honestly, it was a decision that it wasn't totally mine to make the people that were running this show, the production crew, they had to deal with all the red tape of wildlife management in Canada. And they were concerned about an altercation happening. And they told me you got to move. So I didn't really want to move. I knew that they were probably right that an altercation with this bear was, there was a potential for it. I didn't want to move because I had a really good shelter. It was dry. I had a smoker. I had. I was set up perfect. Like the thirty days was looking pretty good. (laughs) Like this is going to be pretty easy. I'm I'm really set up pretty well here, and I didn't want to move. But it came down to them basically telling me you got to go. And so I just packed up everything that I had, which wasn't much, and threw it in the moose hide, and then packed it a couple miles and
2: set up another camp. That's brutal. So I have what are, to leave all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was a that was a low blow, but what are some things behind the scenes things viewers would want to know, you know, how often were they doing wellness checks? I mean, obviously you're alone, but the production crew's coming by. What what does that look like?
1: Yeah, my show is a little bit different than Alone because on the regular Alone it's all self-filmed. So they do all the filming. Um, for me, it was A combination of the two. So some of the days I would sell film and nights I would sell film and then they would come out. They had a production crew and camera crew and they would come out some days and get footage that they needed or do interviews and that kind of thing. So that side of it was really interesting to me to watch. It was also really frustrating because if they had a certain thing that they wanted to capture to be able to tell the story, then I had to do it like four times because... They'd want to get it with a regular camera, and then they'd want to get it with the slow-mo camera, and then they needed it with the drone. <laughs> so yeah, there was, a lot of, there was a lot more work just because you're trying to help them make a show. They have to be able to capture certain things if they're going to be able to make a show. And it added another element to it, whereas if it was just me out there hanging out in the woods for 30 days, it would have been somewhat relaxing in a way, but that kind of added an element of stress to it.
0: This portion of the podcast is brought to you by PK Lures. If you're like me, you're probably out on the water pursuing your favorite fish this time of year. Open water season is the most fun for me, and I always have PK Lures in my tackle box ready to go for my fishing trips. Some of the ones that I would recommend for this time of year, the PK spin jig If you're a jig fisherman, it's a must-have. It adds extra flash to your jig. You can tip it with anything you want, and it is downright effective for trout, walleye, panfish, and bass. The other thing I'd recommend is if you like to troll, there's a lot of options for that as well. My kids and I have done really well on the Ridgeline crankbait this season. We've caught a ton of different trout and also a lot of walleye. So that's a great option as well. If you like to troll crawler harness type options, the PK Wobbler and PK Dakota Disc have always been a go-to bait for me. So you can check all these out and much more at Lure. Dot com. Again, pklure.com. Back to the show. Yeah, I'm sure it would. I and I always talk about the show when we watch it of like, I wonder how this goes and how that actually goes in the background because you don't see that because they're trying to tell a story. That's that's their job mm-hmm. is to tell something compelling that you're going to want to come back and watch. And I always wonder with that, like on a show like Alone the Beast, because it's obvious they're filming parts of it, but then it's also obvious that you're filming stuff at night Like when the bear comes into your camp and is eating and you're like, holy crap, he's not supposed to be in this camp Um, but it's it's always interesting to see kind of the behind the scenes and hear how that goes We had josh kirk from mountain man. He lives just down a little ways from here oh, yeah. yeah, he uh came on our show. What was that a year and a half two years ago something like that and just kind of talking through some of those things that you wouldn't think about, right? Like the things they have to go through to make the show happen and make the show work. Yeah. But I, I was just really impressed. Like the fact that you picked up your camp, you moved all your stuff and you still made it the 30 days, even getting that bigger inch thrown in there. was really cool. And like I said, my kids were like, man, she's the real deal. Dad. I was like, yeah, she is the real deal. Like that's, that takes some mental toughness to, Take, I mean, like you said, you had everything set up, you had everything figured out, you could have easily coast it through had it not been the bear. But now you've got to pick up everything. Take fire with you, I believe. Didn't you end up taking like a coal yeah. with you so you could actually get a fire going again? Because people don't realize how hard it is to start a fire, uh, especially yeah, primitively. Really Um, but yeah, I mean that, that took a lot of guts. And so it's, it's very commendable (laughs) what you were able to do on that. Um, how did it feel just knowing that you made it? Like when you did finally make it to the end, what, what did that feel like?
1: Oh, that was a really good feeling. That was the best feeling to be able to know that I was going to be able to go home. To me, the biggest thing was I'm going to be able to go home to my kids and tell them that I did it. And That was kind of what my driving force out there. I was like, my kids, I want them to see that they can do hard things. And I want them to be able to be proud of their mom. And to go home and know that I could bring that back almost as like a gift for them, was an amazing
2: feeling. So what was the lowest point during filming?
1: Oh man, (laughs) it was the day that made me move. (laughs) I did not, I didn't want to move. And because of all the filming that we had to do, I didn't have time to build a shelter, so they were like, okay, well, we got all our footage. It's getting dark now. We're going to leave. I'm just like, <laughs> leaving me with no shelter, like I, I don't have time to build a shelter before it gets dark. If it snowed, I was just going to be laying under a moose hide, getting snowed on and trying to keep a fire going. I was so mad but <laughs> the producer was there. And he came up to me and he was like trying to talk to me and i was just staring at him and i couldn't even talk to him i was so pissed <laughs> i was just staring at him and he ended up just leaving he didn't come back for a few days i think he was just like oh I really pissed her off <laughs> yeah i was angry that was the lowest thing for me was was anger and just frustration over the whole thing but it passed i got a new shelter built and and it was all right but Yeah, that was definitely, I look back and I can see my, that was the most frustrated I was the whole time.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, you said going home was awesome and seeing your kids. What was their reaction when you got home?
1: They were really excited. They were super excited. I think it was kind of hard too because your brain changes when you're out there. It's so primitive. And it's like you go into this place where, probably our ancestors just lived all the time and everything's simple. And your, your thought process is simple. All you have to do is think about food and water and staying dry and just basic stuff. And as soon as they took me out and put me into a hotel to wait for a flight out, my mind like flipped back over to the 20th century, 21st century. And I'm like, could not sleep for three days. My mind was just spinning, like catching up. I think with, with everything. It was the weirdest feeling. And going back home, it took me a while to really, I guess, get back to myself. And I think that was part of it was healthy. Part of it was really good. And I wish I could have kept a little bit of that feeling. It was just such an appreciation for my family and for just the people around me and the things that we just take for granted. I had a really profound understanding of how valuable all that is. But at the same time, I was also kind of disconnected just because my mind was so used to operating on such a basic playing field.
0: Yeah. I, I can imagine that would have been a difficult transition over. I mean, even just like backpacking trips and hunting trips, you come back and you're like, man,
2: I want to go back, <laughs> you know, get back yeah. to that simple <laughs> side of things. Right. David, I mean, oh, two, two things that, you know, I've done, I've done the YouTube filming, right? right. And where she, Lindsay mentioned, you know, oh, we're going to take four cuts of this. You're like, first time, no, I've done it. You got on film, leave me alone, right? So that piece <laughs> of it where she said, I'd rather just be doing mm-hmm. this without the yeah. camera would be more fun. But every time when you get back from a trip, whether it's, you know, any kind of these primitive trips, the two things that always blow me away is, one, I can walk over to the wall and lift this valve and fresh, clean water <laughs> comes out anytime yeah. I want, right? Yeah. And the other one is... You know, getting up at midnight to go to the bathroom when it's snowing, you get out of your sleep Mm. bag really is not fun. It's not pleasant. You (laughs) lay there and go, do I really have to go that bad? When you're home, it's like turn on the light, you walk into this heated room and it's, it's pretty pleasant. So the amenities that if you don't have them, you know, you appreciate them, but people that have never gone without running water, you know, it's, that's a nice feature we have. Oh, absolutely.
0: Last night I was talking, like when we got back from sitting and waiting on those deer. By the way, Lindsay, yeah, we we sat and we looked at this draw. We were waiting for these whitetail to come out, and the wind was blowing in our face. And I think when it started, it was what, 25 miles an hour ish? Yeah, we, when we got out of the truck, it was 20, 25 mile an hour wind. And you know how when the sun sets, like the wind amplifies, it goes up. About 10, 20 miles an hour. It like, was pushing me while we were walking. Yeah, we were, we were about frozen. You know, we were waiting for these deer. They just decided, I think, to sleep in a little bit more because of the wind. But um, I got home and uh, the guys that I brought out that were hunting, we, we got some chili and we warmed up a little bit. I stoked up the wood stove. It was great. It was nice and toasty. And I was thinking to myself that whole time, like, man, what if I had to sleep out there? Like, I mean, it was <laughs> it was so... Flipping cold and windy and just, you know, there's no protection out there whatsoever. And it's just like, you get a real appreciation for our ancestors and what they had to deal with. Because I was sitting there next to you because David's sitting there, you know, spotting and stuff. And I'm just kind of hanging out. And I was just like, man, you know, our ancestors would be out here and they'd be waiting on these deer too. And, you know, they, they knew how to, you know, get the right shelter in the right place and do all these things. And it just gives you an appreciation for all the work that you have to do when you're in that situation. You can't just run and jump in a truck like we did and go get warm, chilly at the house. Turn the seat heaters on on the drive home. Exactly. So. <laughs> Those are the best. <laughs> Aren't they, though? Like, cold, uh, hard ground versus a heated seat. I mean, <laughs> that's just such a wonderful thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting though. It's like you get used to it. Your body really adjusts when you're living out there. Like if you're living outside, the, the temperature changes don't really affect you as much. Um, it's cold. Yeah. But your body gets really used to that. And then you don't have the stresses on the mind. Like I remember sitting out there and when I went up there, it was when they were trying to impeach Trump. Um, yeah. And I remember sitting up there at one point and I was like, I wonder who our president is. Like, do we still have the same president? Like, <laughs> I have no idea. The whole world could have just ended and I'd still be sitting here and everything would still be happening. Just the same in nature. Even if everything else was falling apart in our real world, uh, you just don't have that stress and that pressure going on in your mind. Which is really nice.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to think about that because I think that's one of the mental toughness mindset things is that we get so wrapped up in the things going on in our world, right? Like whether it be the news or, or whatever. And a lot of it, we have zero control over at all. Mm. And yet we stress ourselves out to the max over stuff that we have no control over. And so that's an eye opener really for anybody. Like if you're one of those people that you watch the news constantly and you're always angry and upset and stressed out, Maybe you should turn it off, like maybe go up into wow. the mountains for a week, you know, and just get away from it. And I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that would help a lot of people.
1: Well, it's something that I have realized personally, I stopped watching the news a long time ago. And if something really important happens, I still hear about it. I hear about it. You know, you're going to hear about it, but I don't think that we were designed to know what's happening a million miles away on the other side of the world. We're really surprised. We're supposed to be kind of in a little tribe, in a small community, and and the issues that happen in a small community are fine for us. Our minds are designed to handle those kinds of issues, but we're not supposed to know what's happening to everybody on earth 24 seven. And a lot of times there'll be a big story that'll get blown up and it's everybody's talking about it. It's like the next big dilemma. It's some horrible, tragic thing. And then two weeks later, nobody's talking about it anymore. And nothing happened from it. But yet it it brought so much stress and anxiety to people for two weeks out of their lives when if they had never heard of it, they wouldn't have been any different. Nothing changed. We just have too much access to the world and what's happening. And I don't think our brains are designed for it.
2: I've noticed two similarities in society. And one is there's a lot of big tech CEOs that, you know, attribute some of their success to one day a week, they have a technology fast, right? They don't, they don't let their kids on, they don't get on, they go out and they have a walk in the park. And the other one I've noticed is when I was a kid, the news media outlets had the ticker tape on the bottom of the screen only during major catastrophes like floods or hurricanes or tornadoes when the information was coming too fast for them to actually make a report, right? So they were just putting raw information on the bottom of the screen for people, you turn on the news now that's on 24 seven. And you know, they've got Fox news has the bong news alert every 15 minutes, something new. You need to pay attention to us. It's the sky is falling. Every 15 minutes we can't, we can't cope with information overload at that level and that pace. And that's probably Lindsay. I go do a lot of adventure style hunts, right? I'm, I'm, I enjoy going around here and, taking Patrick and we'll go watch for whitetail for an evening and being back in my bed. But, you know, I was in Kodiak for 20 days this year, no cell phone, 20 days. I got to watch the sun come up and the sun go down and I wasn't in a rush of, Oh, we got to get this done. We got to, I got four more days, right? It's like, no, I'm living here now, wherever I want to go, whatever I want to do.
1: Wonderful feeling. And I think it's so much more in tune with what we're designed for. I think it's, it's so hard on us right now to have all this information overload.
0: This portion of the podcast is brought to you by the bow spider. If you haven't heard of the bow spider yet, you'll have to go to bowspider.com and see what it's all about. If you're a bow hunter and you want to go hands-free in the field, you really need a bow spider packing system out here in the West. We cover a lot of miles and it's good to be able to put your bow on your back or on your side and get a little break from toting it around the field. The Bow Spider packing system has a lot of different options. You can use it in tree stands. You can use it on the headrest of your truck to transport your bow. You can put it on your pack and carry it around on your back. You can also put it on your side. So if you haven't checked it out, go to bowspider.com and check out the bow Spider. You can also go to YouTube and type in bow Spider and go to their channel. They have how-to videos to show you exactly how to use their products. Again, you can check out the BowSpider by going to BowSpider.com. Again, that's BowSpider.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, I think mental health would drastically improve in our country if people would get rid of the cell phone for a while and go spend some time alone and learn how to be alone and, and just maybe soak that in a little bit. Can you talk about maybe if someone wanted to do that, where's a good place to start or maybe what would they want to do to get to that point where maybe they'd go out for two to three days up into the mountains and do a pack trip by themselves? Like how do they condition their minds for that and kind of get ready to do that?
1: Well, I've had five clients that have hunts where they're going to go out and stay by themselves for the first time. And they'll ask me, and you know, I'm kind of nervous just about sleeping by myself out there or, you know, being alone and, and my mind talking me out of it and making me, you know, think I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go home. And I think it's the same as what I mentioned earlier. You can kind of prepare your mind for those things. If you recognize that our minds do try to always keep us comfortable, it's like the goal of our mind and body to always stay comfortable. And, our mind will start telling us, Oh, you don't you don't need to be out here. You know, you've spent enough time. There's your family needs you back home. There's there's stuff you need to do. Our mind always will try to talk us out of doing something uncomfortable. But recognizing that ahead of time is kind of the biggest thing because once you know and expect it and you, you're already already ready for that and you know how you're gonna respond to it, then it takes the power away from it. Planning ahead, knowing that that's going to happen, but that you're when that happens, you're going to recognize it for what it is, and you're going to choose to stay uncomfortable and be out there and spend time with yourself and spend time with your thoughts and stay away from social media and cell phones. Um, I think that sets you up for success just planning ahead knowing what to expect.
0: Yeah, I think that that's good advice, and I think all of us need to do it more often, don't you? I mean. No, it's, it's a good.
2: positive mental attitude towards anything you're doing is I think what you're getting at, right, is while you're out there, if you've got a negative mental attitude of I can't do this, this isn't safe, or, you know, you're you're not going to succeed. If, if you Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right.
1: you got to recognize why you're doing something when you're still at a place where your mind is thinking clearly. Because if you're trying to decide why you're doing something when you're out there, <laughs> you're just going to it up because you're making that decision after the fact you got to think through what you're going to do so if you decide you're going to do something hard you got to decide your why and your reason before you go and then that is cemented and that's the decision that you made and no matter what comes hell or high water while you're out there it doesn't change your why your why is still the same you just have to follow through do what you said you were going to do because you know why you're there no matter what your brain tries to tell you
0: so wh- how do you teach this to your kiddos? Like what is, cause that's one of my big things is trying to teach my kids lifelong skills that they'll actually use. Right. It's, I think a lot of education nowadays focuses on like a canned curriculum. So we've taken a different approach with our kids to really try to teach them skills that they'll actually be using and they'll actually need in life. How do you go about teaching these things that you've learned to your kids? And, you know, what's some of the methodology that you use?
1: Some of it is just modeling it. Um, and some of it is trying to make it fun and interesting and then letting them explore. Cause kids, it's hard in this day and age where they're always entertained by a screen, but kids are by nature creative and you know, they enjoy they enjoy things like being outside and playing in the trees and running. And we've kind of stripped that away from their lives a little bit, but my kiddos just recently, my daughters came up to me and they're like, we want to go out and camp by ourselves over in the wilderness. <laughs> and I could have been like, no, you're, you know, 13 or 14 years old. I'm not going to let you go up there by yourselves. You're too young. You know, you're too young. That's too dangerous. No. But instead, I looked at it as an opportunity, like, this is, this is unique and rare. My kids may never come to me again and want to do something like this. So how could I make this happen to them? Um, so I thought through what the parameters of this were going to be, how we were going to make sure that they stayed safe, and then I let them go out. We found a good spot where they could go out and set up a camp, and I was able to go a little ways away and set up a camp with my son. And they were able to go and and cook their hot meals. They brought like uh, some peak refuel, freeze-dried foods, and they brought a tent and they set it up themselves and they had their dinner and they spent their night out there. And they came back feeling really confident and really proud of themselves and just building on those things a little bit at a time, step by step, and allowing them to do something even if it feels a little bit sketchy, finding a way for them to be able to do it on their own and build confidence um it's hard like a lot of people might not want to do this but my son he's eight years old and he has more knives than i do he's got so many knives he's got a hatchet he has a sword and yeah it could be really dangerous it could be crazy but if you teach them how to use things responsibly and then you let them have those opportunities to build confidence and learn yeah they're probably going to cut their finger i cut my finger with my first knife um but, They get that opportunity to build that confidence and it makes it exciting for them and it makes it something they want to keep doing and keep pursuing and push their limits more.
2: I I mean, I let my kids use power tools around the house, right? I know grown men at certain jobs at work that were terrified of using a power tool. Part of that parenting aspect, I think you touched on it, is letting your children do something dangerous, right? It can't be helicopter parenting. Now, I didn't say we're going to, you know, send them to war or something like that. But, you know, letting your eight-year-old have an actual sharp knife is a a scary feat. But there's a story in my family. My great-grandfather who I met at 12 years old got dropped off at sheep camp for seven weeks with a 22. Grandpa said, here, you watch the sheep and left for the summer, right? (laughs) Today's day and age in society, you know, that doesn't happen, but still... If you've raised them right, a 12 year old has the cognitive, physical, mental capabilities to successfully survive if, if they've been trained. Right.
0: Yeah. It it reminds me of that episode we had with Larry Dahlberg, you know, world famous fisherman. He, his, his dad would drop him off at a lake somewhere in Minnesota with a little bit of food. And, you know, like, like you said, like a 22 and knife and a fishing pole and say, I'll be back in a few days. And he thrived on that. Like he loved it. He absolutely loved it because he got to really become one with nature and learn about the frogs, learn about the bugs, learn about the fish, learn about all of his surroundings and then how to utilize all of that as just a young kid. And I mean, he was like eight or nine when he was doing that. I mean, that's, you did that today, man. You'd end up in jail, (laughs) but it's like.
1: Right. Uh, And that's the key thing is it's like the limits are sometimes placed for you. But I feel like kids will rise to the level of responsibility at which you have expectations for them. And a lot of times we tend to keep our expectations of our kids really, really low, and they're not going to rise above that. They're going to meet what we have set for them. So we're holding them back when we keep our expectations super low. But within reason, if we raise those expectations in a safe way and provide them with opportunities to grow, they're going to make mistakes. That's how they learn. So learn from those mistakes, They'll gain confidence, and then they'll be able to level up again.
0: Yeah, that's great. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the fun things that David and I like to ask all of our guests. So you like to eat wild game. What's your Mm -hmm. favorite thing to eat? Or maybe what is one of the, you know, one things that you really, really enjoy that you've tried wild game wise is just one of your favorites.
1: Well, lately, I'd say my favorite has been caribou. Really good. It's just the taste is great. I haven't found a way that I've cooked it that I didn't like it. It's just pretty good meat. It was always antelope before I got yeah. here
2: <laughs> But I like it. Yeah, we like antelope a lot too. <laughs> is there a way you're preparing it that you like it the best?
1: It's really hard to beat just a butter seared steak. Uh I try to keep it really simple, yeah. Just season it, with salt, pepper, garlic and then sear it in a cast iron pan and butter. Pretty good.
0: Now, how about on the fishing side? Like, I don't know how much of the fish you actually go out and eat, but, like, is there a a fish recipe that you like the most? I
1: actually went to Cabo last January and caught marlin, and the marlin was really good. (laughs) (laughs) I just recently did a – it was interesting. It was just kind of a seared – um, Filet recipe, but the sauce was like a dill it had dill and lime and honey. It was really good. Oh, it was really
0: good. Now my mouth's watering. That wasn't even fair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any kind of like saltwater fish prepared that way. That yeah, that sounds really really good. Yeah, Great. yeah. We like to do a lot of like high mountain seasoning recipes. We were sitting out there last night, and David had brought what was that? It was a high mountain jerky seasoning. It was the hunter sticks, the hunter sticks. Yeah. But what kind of meat was it? Whitetail. Whitetail. Those things are amazing. Oh, nice. I mean, you talk about delicious. I, I think that's probably one of the most fun things about hunting and fishing. And we talk about this a lot is bringing it home and then making it into something and then sharing it with your friends. So if you're having like a group of people over, what's your favorite thing to cook for other people?
1: Oh, a lot of times. My husband, he likes to cook on the smoker. We have a pellet grill smoker, and we've been doing this with our antelope. So last year we got some antelope and took the whole hind and kept it whole and then smoked the whole hind. And that was, that was amazing. It was a really good thing to feed people, too. You can feed a crowd with a whole hind like that. Um that's always a good one. And then we'll just do simple burgers. We have so much ground meat every year. We use a lot of the ground meat and make burgers um, or tacos or nachos or what <laughs> goes on. Ground meat's so versatile.
0: Yeah. I, there's a, we had Hank Shaw on our podcast a little while back and his books, like I, I've been trying some new things. Like I did a salmon piccata the other night these these recipes, man, they are just so good. And he does a lot of those, you know, bone in roasts, like you're talking about, like something either on the grill or in a slow cooker or smoker or whatever. And I think a lot more of the things that I get personally from the field, I'm going to leave more bone in because man, it is, there's is something about cooking it with the bone in and having it fall off the bone mm-hmm. And having like that shredded elk, shredded deer, shredded antelope, it's pretty dang good. I don't know if you guys do that too, but yeah, yeah, it's It's
1: good good. stuff. I've kept our elk bones before too and made bone broth out of them. I like bone broth. It's a really nice way to get protein and added protein in your meals. And it's so good for you. Good for your joints. So that's kind of a fun one. Sometimes I'll take those and save them. Depends on how far back the elk is. It's super far. It's getting
2: boned out. <laughs> well, so, some of us have horses and I, I don't bone meat unless I have to.
1: <laughs> yeah, if I have horses. I wouldn't bone anything either, but <laughs> I don't want to have horses. I'm my
2: own horse. But it, it's important to remember that man is a hunter. We're we're not a gatherer. Nobody nobody comes home with a huge squash and, you know, puts it on the table and, you know, celebrates this big old squash that they gathered or grown. You know, and I'm not I'm not trying to throw stones. A, a good a good zucchini or squash or or mushrooms picked out there, wild asparagus, it's all good, but that's all complimentary to the protein that got put on the table. Yeah, you're not right. go, you're not going to survive on a squash. <laughs> we it's don't sit around long. we don't sit around the fire and talk about that, but we do sit around the fire and talk about the elk or the moose or the trip and it's I think part of the a change I'm seeing in our industry that I think is really cool is when I first got into this, it was all about the inches. Whoever got the biggest one, one, right. And we have this new kind of field to table movement of people who really don't care about inches. They care about pounds of meat. And that's, you know, realistically, that is why I go and I make sure the freezers are topped up before winter starts. And we have, Kind of like your household, my kid's favorite thing is meatloaf. And we, 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 we eat a lot of ground meat, but it's not cow. It's something I've gone out and procured from the field.
1: Yeah. Having that full freezer is always our number one goal. It's our first goal. Once the freezer's full, hunting just becomes fun at that point, but it's serious up until the point where the freezer's full.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, I think it's good to see that shift in the hunting industry because that's what hunting was all about in the beginning. And, you know, I think it's kind of getting back to what what's actually important about it. And it is fun to kill a, a big buck, you know, that's, that's cool and all, but at the end of the day, it's way more fun for me to feed it to my family and friends and, and have something you can be proud of to pull out of the freezer. Just like when I go fishing and catch walleye trout, whatever, there's just something different about that. But One of the things I was going to tell you, Lindsay, that I thought was really interesting about Alone and Alone the Beast is you really get an appreciation for how important protein is and fat, like fat is super critical. I know growing up for me, I was like, oh yeah, if I was ever lost in the woods, I could totally do it. You know, I'd, I'd live off of this, live off of that. And then you realize watching the show, watching these people just atrophy, That there's Mm -hmm. so much more to it than just, you know, having a fish every few days or, you know, having even, you know, we've seen contestants on alone that had a moose and they barely make it and they're still super skinny because there's just not enough fat, you know, and they have a hard time stretching it out long enough. I don't know if you could talk about kind of what your body went through just having that moose and being out there for 30 days.
1: Yeah, it was pretty impressive actually I was surprised I lost 25 pounds in 30 days and I had a whole moose to eat and it didn't matter how much of that moose I would have put down I wouldn't have been able to maintain my weight and I got weak like it got to the point where I'd be hiking around kind of foraging or grabbing different things and I'd go to run up a hill like I was chasing after grouse and i'd go to run up the hills and fly and i couldn't run like my muscles i just my muscles would not respond the way that they normally would because i didn't have the reserves in the tank and i didn't have that energy that i needed to really go the way i was used to and i felt like i could until i tried and then i just wouldn't have the energy in the tank, and i would get lightheaded it just was it's really hard on you and it takes a giant toll and in order to be really set up for winter People that lived out there back in the day, they had to do so much work in preparation to have what they needed to survive. Whole groups of them in the winter, I can't even imagine how much work it was to put up enough food to to survive and actually thrive.
2: So I left for Alaska at 190 pounds, and I got home from this last mule deer hunt at 177 pounds, and I ate peak, and I ate Snickers, and I ate... Yeah. My biggest problem now that I'm home, I really like to just, I, I can't, you know, because I go into starvation mode. You can't, you, when you're hiking that hard, like the day I harvested the mule deer it was a 12 mile hike and 6,000 feet elevation gain. That was a tough, tough day. And you just, you, after you do that physical, Demand on your body. You're not hungry. You, you don't eat. You you just want sleep. You're worn out. Yeah, you're worn out. But now that I'm home, my brain is like after being in starvation <laughs> mode for two and a half, three months. I'm not. I'm not on the show and alone and gone a hundred days. But I'm still out in the field, you know, weeks on end, eating mountain house and and a granola bar or a protein bar, and it's really hard right now not to just have four four plates of food. Your brain's like, just, just eat it all. Everything in sight. I want to eat. It's hard not to go into seafood mode where you see it and you eat it. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. It was hard when I got back my, there's a whole eating protocol to get your body back functioning properly your digestive system functioning properly. And you have, I had a very, I know it's very common to have a really poor relationship with food because you were literally starving and when you come out of a situation where you're starving, you look at food differently and you feel like you have to stock up. Like your body just wants you to eat and regain all of anything that you lost plus more because you never know when you're going to go back into famine and it wants to prepare. (laughs) (laughs) That was was interesting to kind of go through that phase on the return.
0: Yeah, I bet. And you know, it, it was just really cool for me. I know watching the show and seeing you go through and accomplish that and watching the other alone contestants over the years and just what they've been able to do. It's, it's not something that, you know, you just decide one day I'm just going to go do that. I mean, it's, it's, it takes a lot of preparation. You have to, again, like you said, mentally prepare yourself to go into that battle. Cause it is quite literally a battle <laughs> against your own mind and against the elements. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just, I think it's super cool what you've been able to do and want to kind of wrap this up, but I mean, it's, it's been really fun getting to talk to you. I really appreciate that you made yourself available to come onto the podcast. My kids are going to be so excited to listen to it, but if anybody wanted to follow you, like to follow your podcast, to follow what you're doing, what are some ways in which that they can do that?
1: Well, I'm on most social media sites just under hunt fiber And my website is huntfiber.com. And you can follow pretty much anything I'm doing on there. The podcast is the Hunt Fiber podcast.
0: So go check out the Hunt Fiber podcast, follow Lindsay and what she's doing. I know that you've got lots of cool stuff that you put on the socials as well. And I've also enjoyed the articles that you've written and whatnot. So I would just encourage everybody to, to follow those, read those. And again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, uh, Yeah, hopefully we can have you on again one of these days and get another update on all the cool things that you're doing.
1: Thank you guys for having me and tell your kids I said hi.
0: I will. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at ragcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Ragcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Ragcast community on Facebook called Ragcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow spider and high mountain seasonings until next time get out there and enjoy the outdoors